Well, good morning, church. Great to have you here today in the sanctuary. Welcome to those of you who are in the venue as well, and some of you who are also in, uh, joining us online. Uh, if you have this bulletin, you may take that out. It says, the world is smaller than you think. We have been in a uh, short mini-series. I started this last week as we're talking about our calling uh, as Jesus followers, of how we're supposed to share our faith. And if you've been a regular around here at First, First Baptist, you know that we talk about no, grow, serve, and share. No, grow, serve, and share. No, Jesus. Grow in Jesus, serve like Jesus, and share Jesus, our faith. And so that's the angle we're taking over these last three weeks. Well, last week, today, and then a little bit next week as well. And um, I I hope that this teaching, um, you'll start to recognize it as a mandate that Jesus gave to us right before he ascended up into heaven. Uh, It's his last words that he spoke to his disciples, and it's up here on the screen. It's out of Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. In fact, would you read these verses with me? Read them. Let's go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And what I hope we started to see last week was the reason for sharing, as Jesus wants us to share, is to share what kind of a good Father God we have in our lives. It's not because we have to. It's not because, you know, we feel guilty if we don't. It's to share the generosity of our God who has blessed us in every way and to share that with others that they can have that same God involved in their lives. It's the reason that I will never try and guilt anyone, anyone, church, into having to share their faith. I will never use scare tactics or put fear in people, you know, that if they're not sharing their faith. I don't want to ever manipulate people into thinking that they have to share their faith. I just want to teach you what God's Word says, and specifically what Jesus said right before he ascended into heaven. Share your testimony. Share the goodness of your God. Share that the hurting can be healed, the broken can be restored, the slaves can be set free, the spiritually dead can be alive. That's the message of the good news of the gospel. Amen? That's what we're to live. So here's my question. Why don't more of us share our faith? Why is it that we've become a little timid at doing that, perhaps? Why is it that less than 10%, statistics say, less than 10% of Christians actively engage in witnessing an evangelism of their faith? Is it a, a fear that we have of what other people will think? Or maybe it's just an apathy that we really don't care and don't think it's very important. Or maybe we don't understand how God wants us to do it or his involvement of using us in his plan. Maybe we don't feel qualified to do it. I know that's one of the big areas I hear people say, I don't know what to say. I don't know if I'll mess things up or how I should share my faith. Or maybe, just maybe, We've bought into this pluralistic, postmodern culture thought that tries to say, you know, to proselytize is wrong. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be talking religion and and politics and those kind of things. You have your views. I'll keep mine. 
I don't know what it is, but the church has not done a real good job of this. Not just here, but the church in general across the world, specifically in America. I came upon um, a video. This is a very interesting video that really cut me to the core when I thought of this idea. It's from, of all people, an atheist. It's from the gentleman on the left in this picture. His name is Penn Gillette, and he's an entertainer with the uh, um, Penn and Teller uh, uh, show. How many of you have heard about him or maybe have seen him on TV? I think he did Dancing with Stars even um, a a while back. They have a show. I think it's in Nevada. It's in Las Vegas. Um, And and it's very interesting because um, I think the one does not talk, and and Penn talks a lot. And he has a, a, a lot of views on things. As I said, he's an atheist. Um, and he was doing a video blog. And so if you don't know what a video blog is, he's in front of his laptop or he's sharing with a camera. And the, the view we're going to show here is kind of a weird camera. It's kind of an upshot of him. But he's just, he's just talking by himself. And then he took it and he posted it online. And um, here's some of his thoughts about this issue with Christians, with Christ followers. Now, it's very interesting because we're going to pick this up when he's talking about a man who came up to him after one of his shows and uh, tried to witness to him by giving him a Bible. Watch what he says. On any side, brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament, little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye did all of this and uh, it was really wonderful I believe he knew that I was an atheist but he was not uh, defensive and he looked me right in the eyes and he was truly complimentary it wasn't in any way It didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. How much do you have to hate somebody 
not to share your faith with them. And that comes from someone who's an atheist. And you can tell he's thinking. You can tell he, this set him back because this was someone who was genuine, who was loving, who did not do it in a pushy way, who did not try and cram religion down his throat, but just said, hey, I'm a sane person, I'm a businessman, I, I, I just have a Bible I want to share with you. Thank you for what you did, the entertainment value that you gave here, I'm praying for you. Now, if, um, if you think, you know, that can be kind of scary to share your faith in that way, as I think it can be kind of scary, <laughs> that's okay. That's just one way of sharing your faith. That, it's not the only way. It's just one way of doing it. And I think God uses that way in a great way. However, the way that most of us probably share our faith, I think God uses an even a more effective and long-lasting, impactful way. Okay, what are you talking about, Pastor Brad? God has placed people in your lives, around you, eight to 15 of them, to be specific, that God wants you to speak into. And I guess the question I bring up from this guy, who is an atheist, who had someone approach him and witness to him, is how much do we have to hate them not to share this message? If we see the truck is barreling down on them, wouldn't we want to help? Time and time again in the New Testament, we see Jesus telling people, go to your closest friends and share my love with them. Share my mercy with them. See what, tell them what God has done for you. In the New Testament, there's a word that is translated usually people or household, and it's a Greek word that's pronounced oikos. In fact, would you say that with me? Oikos. Say it with me one time. Oikos. Okay, you know Greek now. Good for you guys, all right? It's a word oikos that is translated, and, and you can write this in if you would, an extended household. And let me give you the definitions of what this word oikos means. It means, number one, the most natural and common environment for evangelism to occur. And it means a group of 8 to 15 people with whom you share life most closely, your sphere of greatest influence. In other words... Already these people in your lives, they are your relatives, they are your friends, they are your neighbors, they are your work associates, they are your classmates. These people are already in your life that you already talk to, that you already interact with. Let me go to the third definition, third idea about this. It says the people, these are people for whom God wants to prepare you to become an ideal instrument of his grace. And then lastly, they are a microcosm of the world at large for whom God sent his son that all who place their faith in Christ would be delivered from the bondage of sin and enjoy life to the fullest. All right, you say, well, how, how has this come about? In the New Testament, we see over and over again where Jesus is talking to people about their oikos, 
and specifically even saying, go share with them. Go tell them the good news. Your household, your friends, the people in your life. Look at these verses out of Mark 5, 19, where Jesus heals a demon-possessed man, and the man is so overjoyed, he wants to get in the boat with Jesus and go across the other side. He really wants to be kind of a follower of Jesus. And look at what Jesus says. He says, no, go home to your friends. That word there in the Greek is oikos. You know Greek, you know that now. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. That was the most important thing he could do right there at that moment. Zacchaeus, the next verse there out of Luke 19. When his conversion comes upon uh, himself, Jesus says to him, Today salvation has come to this house meaning these people, meaning the oikos of Zacchaeus. As he has now opened his life to this, so are they going to. We see when Jesus heals the son of a royal official in John chapter 4, that he said, and he himself believed, and all of his household, again, the Greek word there is all of his oikos, believe as well. And when Jesus called Levi, who we know as Matthew, one of the disciples, remember what he was? He was a tax collector. And we see in Scripture, in Mark chapter 2, that Matthew is hanging out with his oikos. He's hanging out with these sinners and these tax collectors. And there is Jesus and his disciples because it says there were many who followed him. And the last example, and there are numerous others in Scripture where we see um, Peter, and he's delivering a salvation message to Cornelius, and the uh, um, uh, angel kind of talks about Peter's going to declare a message by which you will be saved, not only you, but also your oikos, your household, the people who are around you. Our oikos or our households have always been the most natural arena where we share our testimonies, where they can be clearly and powerfully communicated with our friends. That's the greatest place you can do that. In fact, Tom Mercer, I heard him in a conference this last fall uh, in his book, 8 to 15, where he teaches this Oikos principle. He, he, he proves it in a great way. He talks about uh, a 95% statistical anomaly or an outlier. Now you say, what's an outlier? An outlier is um, a statistical observation that is, is markedly different, so different from the others of the sample that it just jumps off the page. Let me use a few examples. Um, if people were doing uh, medical research and it was revealed that people were cured from cancer or at least remission from cancer, if 95% of the people who have entered that study were um, uh, shown to have done the same type of treatment, all of the research specialists would say, you got to know what that is. 95% of the people who get cured, let's understand what that's about. Those of you who are golf fans, if, 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 if perhaps um, the people who won all of the Masters, all the tournaments, all the U.S. Opens for that whole year, if 95% of the golfers used a specific golf ball, you would be saying, I want that golf ball. And, 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 you know, news reporters and, and specialists would report on that. This is the golf ball to use. Because they would say, something is up with this golf ball. 
if perhaps um, 95% of the most valuable players in all the sports all across the country, uh, NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, hockey, if 95% of them came from the city of Stockton, ESPN would be here doing research and saying, what is in your water? Just like, uh, what's her name? Erin Brockovich would be here as well saying, what's in your water, right? Yeah, but they would be saying, okay, something's happening there in the city of Stockton that is making these exceptional athletes come out of your city. That would be a 95% outlier. That would jump off the page. Well, the same thing is true with, with coming to Christ, and if Christian seminaries and magazines and the church would look at this and say, okay, how does this happen? Really, it happens. 95%, I would guess, 95% of people come to Christ as a result of the influence of someone within their oikos, someone within their household, someone within their sphere of influence. In fact, let me just do a, a, a study here. Will you raise your hand if you receive Christ? Let me call this kind of from a cold call evangelism type of conversation. Maybe you had uh, a conversation with, with a stranger in a supermarket, or maybe someone approached you on a beach and you were able to converse with them, or on an airplane ride from one city to the next, or maybe someone knocked on your door. Um, you would say, that's the primary way that I receive Christ, from someone sharing their faith like that. If you, if you don't mind, just, just show, show hands, Okay. Two, three, four, five, okay, six. That is about actually about that 5% in a crowd. And the way you guys receive Christ is awesome. Someone boldly stepped out and shared their faith. God uses that in wonderful ways. That's about, honestly, about the 5%. Now let me check about this. How many of you would say you receive Christ primarily because one or more of your oikos relationships, maybe it was your mother or your father, your grandmother, your grandfather, maybe it was a spouse, maybe it was a relative, um, perhaps it was a work associate or a classmate or a friend, shared Christ with you and kind of brought you along in your faith? How many would you say that's how I came to? Okay, there it is. That's about the 95% outlier. And so you look at that and you say, why don't we pay more attention to that? Because that's what God is up to. Now, for those of you who feel compelled to share your faith in, in a way with strangers, and do, please do that because God works in that way. But most often it's been found that God works on the people who are closest to us because that message gets shared in such profound ways. In fact, let me give you a few keys about this. It's on the back of your outline of why that is so vital for sharing your faith with the people who are closest to you. Why does this work? Number one, I wrote down, your life sparks the interest of your oikos. Your life, it, it sparks the interest in them, which tells me the greatest ways to prepare for effective evangelism is simply maturing in your faith. Understand that. When you mature in your faith, your life shines brighter for Christ. People are watching. Look at the verse there out of 1 Peter chapter 3. It says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Those are words that Peter wrote. And notice the flow of this. 
Your growth leads to their interests, which leads to their questions, which leads to your answers. They see a difference in you. They see you as someone who goes through life and is more joyful. And so they ask this question, or at least they're thinking it before they boldly ask it. Why are you so joyful in your life? Why don't you? Why don't you gossip in the workplace or in the schoolyard like everyone else gossips? Why do you do it so differently? Why do you have a peace in your life going through difficult, tough times And you just seem to have a different way of going about that. Why don't you cheat on your spouse like all the other guys and all the other gals at work do? Why don't you smoke weed like everybody else on campus does? And you're not one of those podheads, but everybody, it's it's almost legal now, so why not? But you don't. People watch that. People watch your life. And when you live a life that's glorifying of God, that sparks interest. And people see there's something different about you. Now, that doesn't always happen overnight, but it happens when people are watching our lives, and specifically with those people, 8 to 15, who already are in your lives right now watching you, because they know you come to church. They know, for those of you who have given your life to Christ, they know that about you. Second thing, wrote down on the outline there, is your life silences the criticism of your oikos. The way you live, it silences the criticism. You know, we've talked about this before, but um, the mainstream media has really given Christianity a black eye. I mean, and the media is so slanted. You, you even watch television shows or movies, and you see the person who is a Christian on those shows, often if they cast a Christian, they will make that person out to be bitter and judgmental and hypocritical. And for people who really don't have someone in their lives who is a true Christian, that's why they view church and Christianity in that way, because that's what the media portrays. They don't have any other choice. They don't have any other options. They haven't seen it done in a different way. But for the people who are closest, I pray that they will look at our lives and say, man, that, 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 that person's different. That's a person. The only way we'll ever tackle that media bias, we're not going to get onto a radio show, we're not even being interviewed by someone, it's not going to change. The only way you do that is you live your life faithfully, and people will see that you're different. It's because of Christ in you that you're different. In fact, look what Peter goes on to say about that. He says, um, do this with gentleness, and what's the next word there? With respect. That's how you show people. That's how you live your life, with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. They don't have anything else to go on because you've lived your life good enough to point to Jesus. And even when you have messed up, because we all do, to be able to say, yep, I'm not perfect. I'm forgiven, and here's what I do. Would you, I ask your forgiveness even of me. That's a great model. That's a great design. When you don't get it right, that they say, again, they handle themselves differently. Let me give you a third thought on this. Your life establishes the validity of your message. Your life establishes the validity of your message. Uh, in fact, I'll say it like this. Um, a Ford salesman who tells you to come by and see uh, his uh, cars that he wants to sell you because um, the greatest cars ever made are all made by Ford and then drives away, waves at you driving a Toyota. 
is not going to sell you a Ford, are they? It's not going to work. Same thing happens with people who preach like God but live like the devil. Doesn't happen. We've got to live this out so those people can see that message in our lives and then spoken when the Holy Spirit gives us a chance to speak. And, and these people, as I said, they are already in your lives. We just need to be aware of them. We need to be praying for them. There's a gal who um, received Christ probably about 10, 12 years ago in our church. We actually highlighted her in a service a couple of years ago. And um, today, today, she, in fact, right now at this hour, she has four of her grandchildren who are going through Pastor Mark's baptism class. Why? Because she, she knows how important her faith is in Christ. And she has shared that with her children. And she has shared that with her grandchildren. And she has prayed for them since the day they were born because her faith has made such a difference in her life. And they know that grandma wants them to be here in church. They know a foundation that has been laid. They know they've been coming with their parents and the teachings that have been there. Actually, the, uh, two of the kids have two grandparents in this church, so they didn't have a chance. I'll tell you that right now. I say that in jest because they do have a choice. And it just so happens that they're making a good choice now because of the witness of the grandparents. We're saying, this makes all the difference in my life. It can do the same for you. And so again, I want to encourage you that you don't have to be someone who steps up after a show and goes up to the lead, author, or the lead entertainer like Penn and Teller and throws you know, some ideas at them or such. You can do that gracefully. You can do that um, uh, in, in a kind-hearted way. But you can also make a, even a huger impact, a bigger impact with the people who are already in your life. By the way you live. In fact, would you take out this uh, card that's in your bulletin? This, again, is from the book by Tom Mercer, 8 to 15. And it just kind of narrows this down to say, okay, folks, what are we going to do with this? And on here it says, who is your 8 to 15? It gives you the ideas, their relatives, their friends, their neighbors, their work associates, their classmates, or others in your life. Those are the people who are in your, your household your people group, your oikos. And I pray that you might take some time this week to write down those names of those people. And let me read what it says then at the bottom. After you've written these names down, it says, then make a commitment to pray daily for your world. And please hear me, folks. If that's all you do, fantastic. Please just start there. But it goes on to say, Pray that each one would sense God's presence in their lives, that God would draw each one closer to himself. Offer yourself every day as an instrument in that process. Watch for appropriate opportunities to discuss and demonstrate your faith in Christ, as well as taking the opportunity to invite them to church. And as I said last week, this is an opportune time heading into the Easter season, that people are open and willing to go. And, and now I, I want to give you some warnings on this because I realize that the longer you are a Christian, <coughs> excuse me, statistics say the longer you are a Christian, the more walled off from non-Christians you will be. Really kind of some for good reason. I mean, you, you, you come probably to Bible studies or you come and have people groups that you want to build you up and you want people around you who are like-minded in thinking. But we have always, we have always got to keep a mindset out for people who are not in that frame of mind. And, and, and family, 
friends, neighbors, many of them can fit this role because God has already put them and placed them in your life, whether you like it or not. God has put these people in your life. But we need to, we need to view the world like this. I have a gal who, who cuts my hair. Um, I, I just go to Supercuts and you know, go there every six, eight weeks, whatever it is. I intentionally, intentionally try and go on Monday nights after 8 o'clock because she's usually there. And I've just been inviting her. I've been talking to her. I, I figure she's cutting my hair for about a half hour. She's going to listen to me talk for about a half hour. But I don't want to throw it down her throat. I, I talk about her kids. I talk about her life and where she's been. And, okay, your husband and you're living together or what, what's going on. And, and just, just, just give her a sense of, and then finally they say, oh, you're, you're a pastor. And, and the last time I went in, she brought up the conversation with me. And sure, I'll talk. And I'll share it. And people on either side, they hear us talking and sharing. I'll keep inviting her. And I've invited her and invited her. She hasn't come yet that I know of. But I say, when you come, come up and, and, and say hi to me because you're the one who made me look good up there on stage. <laughs> but I keep telling her, we have a great church right here and we have a greater God who we want you to know. And um, that's why in the bulletin, we have these cards. Next week and the week after. Easter's in two weeks. Let me give you a hint on this. These are not for you. You know when Easter is, right? This is for you to give away. This is for you to pray about. This is for you to say, are there people in my oikos who need this invitation? And even are there people when I am in the supermarket, when I'm in the line, when we start and drum up a conversation about stuff that I'll have this in my purse, I'll have this in my wallet, and I can just give, I can just hand it out and say, hey, why don't you come on by and experience what we experience here at First Baptist Church? So pray not only for your oikos, but pray for a place where those can be handed out, where those can be invited and given out. And I would say this about this card as well. Put this in your Bible and use this as a prayer reminder. And again, if you simply pray, start to pray, don't even get nervous. Don't say, oh, well, when am I going to find the time? I've got to force an issue, a conversation in here on this. No, just, just pray and watch how God opens up those doors. I pray it's very natural. I pray it's very normal, not awkward, that you would just share your faith or share an invitation with them. Now, let me give you a couple of the thoughts on this card, and it's on the back of your outline, because I wrote down three spiritual categories in your oikos. For the people who are on your card, I view them as falling into three different areas. One is that you will have non-believers on there who need to be evangelized. Non-believers who need to be evangelized. That we pray that we are able to share our faith. We pray that the Holy Spirit will speak through us. We pray that someone else might share their faith with them, whatever it is, but we are praying for them to know Christ because they do not know him. So they're non-believers. Let me give you a second category, though. On that card of yours, you will have some lukewarm believers who have let the things and the challenges of life kind of exclude God and exclude their faith. Those are the people who need to be energized. Those are the people who you just need to light a fire underneath again. You will have conversation with people who you know um, have, have not been in church for years, but they have, they have a foundation. Oh, yeah, my grandma used to bring me when I was young. Oh, actually, I was baptized when I was about 16. Oh, really? Where, where's your faith now? And as they see, well, yeah, you know what? It's not there. You just say, why, why don't you come back? Why don't you explore that? Why don't you see? You, you know the goodness of God. You experienced that at one point in your life. He is still that same kind of a God. And you're just, you're just energizing them. You're just bringing them to another place. 
God can use you in that way. And then the third types of people that you will have are maturing believers who we want to make sure they're better prepared to share their faith with their oikos, and that's a sense of encouraging them. Just encouraging them how good God wants to be in their lives, and um, you can get them thinking about a whole set of people in their lives that they should be sharing their faith with as well, or the opportunities that they'll have to share their faith as well. Remember what you're doing here. You're recognizing who is in your world, because God has already given you people in your world, and then you are bringing up the place of saying, okay, I need to have some input. I need to give some support to people who are in my world about them taking their next step. Because that's what we do here at First Baptist. We take, help people take their what? Next, next step in knowing Jesus and making him. No, that's what it's about. And we've talked about that over and over. And now is a great, great time to be more laser focused on that. In fact, you know, I brought up this angle scale last week. Um, I hope that that has helped some of you see that you do not have to be the one that actually prays with them what would be described as step 10 there in the bold um, yellow highlighted area, but you could be the one who brings them from step four to step five, from step five to step six, from step one to step two, whatever it may be. You just come along, and as your eyes are open, your spiritual eyes are open, that God will use you in some sort of a way. Because let me remind you, God could have beamed you up to heaven when you came to a faith in his son, Jesus Christ. He could have. He could have just brought you up, but he didn't. Why? Because he wants you here as a part of his plan to bring people there. That's why you are still here. In fact, there's only two things that you can't do in heaven that you can do on earth. One is sin, and one is share your faith. You decide which one God wants you to do while you're here, here on earth. It's a real easy answer, right? God wants to use you. He's appealing to Stockton through you. You know, sometimes people will ask me. In fact, I was at the hockey game last night, and someone asked me, so, so how big's your church? I, I tell them, we are a church of 300,000. It's just 297,000 of them don't know it yet. And God has us here on earth. We have another day. God wakes us up the next day to appeal to those 297,000 people who live in Stockton who don't know Jesus. That's why we're here. And that can seem so overwhelming Unless you say, well, you know what, God? I don't have to change the entire world. I don't even have to change the entire city of Stockton. I just need to change my corner of the city of Stockton. I just need to understand and pray for and help along those people who you have already placed in my life, whether I like it or not, those 8 to 15 who are there already. And when we become more focused on that and understanding God's mission towards that, we will look with his eyes, we will hear with his ears, we will act with his heart. And when he calls you to, you'll speak with his lips about the goodness of our God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we uh, come before you, humbled by your trust in us, that we, your people, your broken people, your people who don't always get it right, who mess it up a lot, who don't have always the right words, you've still made us 
the plan. We're, we're plan A. There's no plan B. You share your message through us. We point people to your word. We, we point people to your Holy Spirit working in, in the world around us. But God, they, they look at our lives and even by judging of how many of these people have been touched by others who have pointed them to Jesus. Lord, it's with the closest friends that we have. We listen to those people. And God, I know that there are people represented by each life in here who are watching us as we live out our faith. They're watching us as we make decisions in life. They're watching us as we choose right from wrong. They're watching us as we go through life and choose to say, God, you are still in my life. You are still here. You are still blessing, even when life doesn't seem like it. So I choose to trust you. Lord, we do that to bring you glory. We do that because of how good you are. And even though we can't understand sometimes, Lord, why life turns out the way it does, we still choose you because you are so good. We lean into you today, and Lord, may our lives just reflect the goodness of you. Lord, we've, uh, we've been challenged by someone who's not a believer, someone who's an atheist. How much do you have to hate someone? not to share. Lord, how much do we have to hate someone not to pray? Not to look with your eyes and hear with your ears. Lord, may we never be in that vein. May we always be looking forward and saying, God, your goodness to me allows me to share that with others, helping people take their next step. God, thank you for using us. And even now, as we worship you, I pray that that worship will be a reflection of our lives, that when we go live out our faith in this community, God, that people will just know there's something different. That we will step up and proclaim that difference. It's the name of Jesus. We love you. We worship you now. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.